Hello and welcome again. I am Lynette Louise, your host and story teacher of the day, actually of every day that you tune into a new spin on autism. Answers. Um, today is um, exciting for me because we're talking with Dr. Michael Bryan, the travel psychologist, and the theme of the day is travel therapy. I always say it's today is exciting because every time I do a show, it's exciting for me. I'm not just saying that. It's true. But this is especially um, close to home for me because when I was trying to work with my children, um, again, eight children, six adopted, five special needs, four on the spectrum of autism, I went through a a variety of therapies and a lot of different ideas on how to help the kids. And of course, in the early years, I was just doing what I was told. And what I was told kept changing based on where I lived and the times. So this journey for me began in the early 80s, 83. And, um, you know, and at first we did a lot of the traditional therapies and, and eventually the kids were teenagers and they just hadn't learned. And I was really struggling with it and I finally went, okay, that's it. I'm taking everybody out of school. I'm doing this myself. So at this point, I've moved from Canada to the states have gone from an eight-bedroom house to we're all squished into an apartment. I've, you know, I've tried everything I can think of to make this work. I take them all out of school. I sell everything I have. I buy a secondhand recreational vehicle, an RV, and I pile all the kids in, and we spend one year traveling North America. And we do this in order to Well, first of all, I wanted a place where I could keep them all contained while I figured out how to help them. But also because what I had noticed was my kids weren't learning from theory, but they were learning from tangible things. So reading became reading signs. Spatial recognition became reading maps. Learning their social skills, it was brilliant because we went from resort to resort to resort, where in the past, you know, we'd move into an area and the neighbors would say, oh, they're so cute for about the first two weeks. And then after that, they'd start thinking, when are they going to move out? Because that's a lot of autistic kids to have next door. Mm-hmm. But when you're going from resort to resort to resort, those people are in a happy holiday mood. They're friendly and they don't feel like they're stuck with you forever. So they embrace the kids different. Plus, there aren't as many kids to play with when you're at a resort. So if you're the other kid at the resort, you'll accept a little difference in order to get someone to hold the uh, volleyball net or shoot hoops with you. And, and my kids were able to learn stuff because of the compassion and the acceptance that they were surrounded with. And whenever people got sick of them, I just packed us in the RV and went somewhere else. So travel therapy was something that I sort of designed out of need. And it was phenomenal. Um, my one son, as a matter of fact, who couldn't read, he could talk, but he talked kind of uh, with his sounds jumbled up. And he couldn't read or anything. And he was in grade eight. By the end of that was uh, academically normal uh, by the end of that one year. So it was really kind of amazing and shocking. Uh, it also kept them from getting involved in gangs and stuff because we were constantly on the move. So I have many, many, many travel stories myself. Uh, I just wanted to set this up so you understand that there can be a great deal of value in travel, and it's counter to what you're told with autism. Usually with autism, people say, you know, that there needs to be a framework of sameness at all times, and I'm going to challenge that today. Um, 
And I'm going to share with you stories from the road. (laughs) Make sure you stick around after I talk to our guests because, you know, stories from the road is cool. Um, And at this point, I'd really like to introduce Dr. Michael Bryan. He's the travel psychologist. And I just had to have somebody on my show called the travel psychologist. So, Michael, how did you get that title? That's a title that I basically created. Uh, surprisingly, nobody else did it. And uh, well, I hope you travel. <laughs> oh, absolutely! My whole life, uh, just as you have a passion for what you are doing, I've had a passion for the whole subject matter of traveling, and I made it my graduate study. Uh, did my doctorate, University of Hawaii, and I actually carved out the niche travel psychology uh it did not exist before and uh, as a matter of fact on my first day of introduction to the faculty at the university of hawaii where i was the uh, lonely intimidated graduate student sitting around a big round table with all the faculty members just glaring at you uh, <laughs> they said what are you here to study for uh, to study, and I said, uh, I'm interested in the psychology of travel. And now, you have to uh, realize that this was Hawaii, this is Honolulu. Uh, in and of itself, uh, Honolulu attracted me to do graduate work because it really is in the whole milieu of uh, traveling into the Pacific, a tropical island. And I thought, no better way to study a subject than to immerse yourself right in the thick of it the experience of travel and in a travel environment. And of course, uh, two rat psychologists, very stern and severe, looked at me and said, there's no such thing as that. You can't study that here. And I said, I stood up. I could not believe I did this, but I stood up. I pointed my finger at them and I said, number one, who are you to to define this field of study? And number two, if that's your attitude, I don't think I want to be here. And I walked out of the room. Honestly, I did. I had I such believe a passion you. That's for actually this. how I took my kids out of school. We're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I was chased down the hall by the humanistic psychologists, two of the warm and friendly, uh, warm and fuzzy faculty members said, just because they said that doesn't mean the rest of us agree with them. You get yourself right back into that room. And I stayed there and I made that curriculum. I designed that curriculum. Basically, I did a PhD in social psychology, but I focused my uh, studies on all sorts of subjects related to, as I learned about it more, related to what you might call psychology of travel, like cross-cultural psychology. I did a stint with the University of Hawaii's Peace Corps training program for several months, working as a travel psychologist, really. That's it. That's so interesting. I love that you just chose what it was you wanted and you created it. And it's interesting to me that it was Just like you. Honolulu. Yes, just like me. (laughs) Exactly. So Honolulu has a lot of travelers that come to it, but aren't the people there sort of ocean locked? Like they don't have much, do they? Uh, Many do. And many have been born there, lived there, and died there without going anywhere else. For sure, but having had exposure to people from all over. So, uh, uh, I was one of these people that uh, never got island fever because I was always traveling, (laughs) coming back and forth. Go ahead. That's 
That's so interesting. So when you looked into cross-cultural, um, what just pick one thing that kind of pops to mind that shows that travel itself is beneficial for the brain. Well, I'm sure there's a million, but just uh, grab one. Yeah, uh, I, I want to say that you're when you travel, you are uh, in a way with all the novelty and everything that's new you are forced by that experience to really look and see listen and hear you're you're constantly exposed to all sorts of new experiences where you have to make decisions in order to cope and adjust to your situation it's not you're not running on automatic when you stay at home you are required to deal with every waking moment maybe in a new and novel way in order to really understand and comprehend what's going on around you in order to adjust okay so i heard a theory that the the definition of stress isn't you know, horrible things happening to you. But in fact, the definition of stress is when we have to embrace something new. So if I put those two things together, would you say that travel is stressful? Or would you say that? I, yeah. Okay, sure. go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, uh, stress can be good and stress can be bad, right? Yeah. Uh, stress can be fearful. Uh, novelty, new things can be anxiety provoking a little bit, or they could be exciting. Uh, and, and I want to just go into that just a little bit. Uh, some people are terrified about the notion of taking a whitewater rafting trip. Uh, now, one person's whitewater rafting experience can be a white knuckle experience, or it could be uh, uh, an exciting adrenaline rush. Excitement is, is, all, is said to be experiencing what could be a dangerous type of experience, but where it's relatively safe. You know, what's new and exciting uh, is often thought to be doing something that is so new that it brings you into these anxiety areas uh, where, uh, where it could be dangerous, but it's not, where it's relatively safe, and therefore you you don't really have to worry. You don't really have to be afraid, but you're trying something new, uh, which might be a little bit anxious for you. Uh, but the rewards are are terrific. That is. Oh, and we learning. and we can make up danger, right? We can just say to ourselves, "Oh, it's dangerous if I go out of my house because uh, maybe I will get hit by a car when I cross the road." And then we can decide to be. Um, inundated with fear regardless of whether we leave a big environment and go traveling or not. That's right. Fear is always around us. But trying something new and having the excitement of doing an experience that, that expands your envelope a little bit uh, uh, can be very rewarding. Um, for example, when you're over in Europe and you're just there for the first time and you're not exactly sure where you're going to have the roof over your head that evening or how are you going to to get a meal you're going into a restaurant where they don't necessarily speak your language you know you're trying out a new behavior you're expanding your envelope and you find yes you're going to eat okay and yes you can find that room that hostel or the 
hotel that you need to stay in for that night. And it wasn't that scary. It's something new and exciting and you succeeded at it. And, and there's nothing more rewarding than, than a feeling of success. In my experience with autism, one of the beauties of traveling with autistic kids, and now I you know, advise people all over the world to do this, and one of the beauties is it forces you into this problem-solving mode that you're talking about. And so often the autistic kids, they're stuck in their routine of doing the same thing over and over and over again. You take them out of that environment, and there is definitely some you know, stress to that, but it also makes them... As you said, the brain is firing with this novelty of everything that's going on. They're observing differently. They have to solve problems differently. And because of that, they're more in their frontal lobes. They stretch themselves more. They, In fact, I've seen people let go of habits more easily while traveling, like quitting smoking or stopping a perseveration of their particular brain disorder uh, more easily while traveling than while staying at home and having... Uh, habit and the cues of the normal environment bring those ideas back to them. What do you think on that subject? I, I totally agree with you. And I think that traveling forces you to be in the, I'm going to sound like an Indian guru, <laughs> but it forces you to be in the eternal present, the now, where, yes. where you have all the stimuli coming in. And to, you must deal with it here right in the present it's not something that's totally automatic it's requiring you to pay attention i often heard that autism was a problem with having too much stimulation but doesn't this seem a little bit ironic because now we're talking about well that's just what you need to do you need to be right in the present where you have all the stimulation all this novelty coming at you and you need to cope with it and deal with it so is there a paradox there? It is a paradox, but what I what my experience is that for the most part what is happening is it's it's like a, an overreaction to or not even an overreaction a, a incorrectly uh functioning sensory system. So when you go out and you're just out in a crowd and there's no real problem to solve, your parents are just dragging you through a crowd. Um, then you're just being overwhelmed and hit by smells and tastes and sounds and, and all these different things, you know, physical touching and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But when you involve the child, and this is the key because it doesn't work otherwise. If you're just dragging him through a travel trip, then mm -hmm. you're just basically overwhelming the sensory system. But okay. if you involve the child in the problem solving and the planning and the you know the the where will we sleep and how will we we don't have enough money for that we have to then what you allow their brains to do and what you encourage their brains to do is focus their sensory which is a way of healing it yeah you know i think uh, i i totally agree with that yeah so in a sense by taking them out of their normal environment you're actually making them less overwhelmed by the sensory input does this make sense Sense, sense. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it makes sense. Uh, you're involving them in dealing with the present of problem solving, so to speak, but in very rewarding ways because travel is fun. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I would agree right. with that. So, do you have just do you have a favorite travel story? Sure. What is it? Uh, okay, a specific story. Let's pinpoint it a little bit more. 
What, yeah, uh, it's just a, a specific story uh, that, okay, have you ever had a, a travel incident with someone who has a cognitive deficit where they're having difficulty thinking, has, a, you know, ADHD or autism or cerebral palsy? Well, I, I picked up a hitchhiker on the road once uh, and uh, realized that this uh, person was totally lost. Uh, I mean, this person was out in the middle of nowhere hitchhiking and uh, uh, was um, really having a problem uh, uh, coping and adjusting. I walk through lives and along the way. Today's theme is travel therapy. This is a new spin on autism answers. Stay with me to the end of the show so you can hear stories from the road and get the day's answer. And Michael is now going to tell us the story of the gentleman that he picked up while hitchhiking. So well, uh, it, it was a situation that uh, I couldn't really be responsible for this hitchhiker. Uh, it was it was just more than I could really deal with, unfortunately. And uh, so I was trying to decide what is the best thing I could do for this person, other than uh, I absolutely fed him a nice meal. We went to a restaurant. I treated him to a meal, and then I decided I would have to take him to a, a juncture of many roads. That was uh, really what I could do. I, I could not, uh, you know, continue to travel with this person uh, endlessly. So I came to kind of a juncture where there's a truck stop and going, leading off into many directions, and that is where I left him off. Uh, and I and I did have feelings of guilt after this. I wasn't really in a position to take on the responsibility of another traveler, so I basically got him to a point where he could go in any sort of direction that he decided and, and he wanted to. What I felt you, bad about it, but okay. But what made you believe? We'll, we'll get into guilt in a minute. <laughs> what made you? It sounds like I, you, I I did a cop out here. I, I feel bad about this. Go no, ahead. no, no, no. Wait a minute. When people are traveling, actually, I remember traveling, um, doing a backpacking in Europe with my daughter, and there was a girl who was trying to, you know, sneak across the border. And at that time, they used to check your passports every time you crossed, you know. And we were going from, I think, uh, France to Italy, maybe it was. And you know, you always had to get off the train and check your passports. And she's trying to sneak across. Mm -hmm. and, I always wondered about her because, you know, I don't know if she made it. And, of course, I've seen movies and I'm young and, and I'm thinking, do they shoot her if they catch her? Like, what do they do, you know? And I didn't have any real experience. It was my first trip like that. Um, I don't, you know, that is what it is to travel and connect with people and then go on your own way. You have many people that you connect with. And and then they go somewhere else, and you go somewhere else, and you don't know. You'll never know what the rest of the story is. So, you know, I don't know that it's a cop-out, but I am curious. What was it about this gentleman that made you feel that he was maybe struggling with uh, thinking clarity? Uh, because he had no goal as to where where he was going and what he was doing. It was, was completely... Um, spontaneous and I personally found that hard to deal with because I always felt I needed to plan a little bit 
uh, you know, where, where I was going for a particular day and where I was going to wind up. I think that he was a very lost soul, just uh, wandering, totally wandering uh, and, and really needing some help, which I was unable to provide. And I don't know if, if he ever did, if he, if he ever got the help that he needed. Uh, so I'll never know the, the end of that story. Well, let's do this thing that I do with the kids when we travel. We're, do, we're going down the road and we, we do what I call guided imagining. And it's really, really useful for kids with autism because they very often don't, actually people very often don't imagine what the other person's life is like. They don't put a full story on the guy in the next car or the person that just cut you off, or the person is going too slow. And so we make up a story, <clears throat> and we'll go, okay, all right, that, that per- guy is driving really, really slow. And, of course, the kids are, oh, he's really old, he's really old, you know, he can't reach the, the, <laughs> the pedals, and, you know. And, and I'll say, well, maybe it's a kid who can't reach the pedals. Maybe, But we start to create a whole story around it. And by the end of that, uh, everybody's had a turn to pitch in and we've come up with three or four stories and it helps them to stretch themselves to realize just because it looks one way, it could be many other ways. You know, somebody cuts you off, maybe they're trying to get to their wife uh, to take, you know, to take her to the hospital and have twins or, or they just heard uh, that they won the lottery and they can't, they can't help themselves. They're just so excited. So let's make a story that has a good ending because you might as well instead of having guilt, so you drop this guy. He's at this uh, place of many roads. He was aimless. He didn't know what he wanted or where he was going to go. You put him in the perfect place. He, yes, he was a true traveler in the sense of uh, uh, almost like a Bedouin, uh, just traveling day to day and always going to a new place. And so I imagine that he would always meet uh, new people and many of his encounters were good and positive. Uh, and uh, uh, the happy ending is that he would just go on and on with every new day being a new place. Uh, Forever in the present. And, <laughs> yes. Forever in the present. Until... Really? So he, he may have uh, been experiencing true bliss and true happiness in a sense. Exactly. Uh, having, uh, you know, as long as that he would be able to have food and shelter, uh, and I, I imagine were, that he was able to do that. I suspect there were other youths that came along until eventually he got the skills he needed to stop. That's the Hopefully story so. that I'm going to stick with. Tell me, is there anything you'd like direct people to know about travel or about yourself or a website you'd like them to go to? Well, I just want to share with the listening audience that. Um, I've I've done a most unusual thing. I started collecting and recording people's travel tales from the early 70s to the present. I had no idea that some 35 years later, I will have met and encountered at least 1,600 people all over the world in my own travels and uh, amassed such a collection of experiences which I'm trying to organize in an entertaining, informative, and interesting way. So I'm planning an ebook and audiobook series on the psychology of travel as revealed through people's experiences of all kinds, good, wonderful, bad, and horrible, uh, which I'm hoping through the whole collection of these uh, experiences 
that people can uh, learn how to get into really good and positive, rewarding experiences in their lives through travel and how to avoid some of the pitfalls and bad and horrible sorts of things. So I'm going to bring out an ebook and audiobook series. And for people that are interested in learning more about this, I invite you to visit my website. And uh, may I give the website? Absolutely, please. Okay, www.michaelbryan.com. And my name is one word. The last name is spelled B-R-E-I-N.com. And uh, so you could see what travel psychology is about. And gee, if you have any stories of your own that you'd like to have included in this whole collection, please contact me through the website. All right, Michael. Thank you so much for being my guest and being willing to stretch your experience to apply it to autism. I appreciate you very much. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Now we're going to go on to stories from the road. Okay. I'm getting really good at that. (laughs) When Michael was talking, he mentioned the word novelty. Uh, when one is traveling, everything is new, and the brain has to fire differently in order to absorb everything new. Uh, this is an important thing to understand before I get into the story. So, there, in fact, there's a phenomenon. Uh, drug addicts, for example, they go into the same home. Uh, stay with me on this. There's a, there's a, a method to my madness here in, in sharing this information. Uh, a drug addict is uh, using a needle and uses the same amount of um, heroin. Every time he shoots up and he's always in the same location and he, de- you know, he has the trip he desires or whatever and he's fine. And then one day he goes into a completely new environment and shoots up the exact same amount and he overdoses. And the reason is not that the drug is different or the amount is different, but that the brain itself is firing so differently because it's a new environment that the drug is absorbed differently. This is a phenomenon um, about novelty. It's uh, why when you do a therapy in the doctor's office that you've never been to before, you have a different experience than if um, it's in your own home. So there's a very real change that happens in the, in the brain, a very real, very tangible change in how it fires and processes information when you're in a new environment. This is very important when you're thinking in terms of working with your autistic child and trying to take him out into the world. Like I said earlier when I was talking with uh, Dr. Brian, the, the idea is to involve the child in the travel because if the child's not involved in the travel they're just being dragged along then their brain is firing like crazy and in the same way that this drug addict in a new environment overdoses your child will overdose on his sensory system in effect so what you want to do is help them to focus and be part of the travel experience so story from the road little boy i've worked with for quite some time um, was doing really, really well. And then he hit uh, the teenage years and he had um, an onset of Tourette's and OCD, which is quite common. In autism, you you have a higher likelihood of getting Tourette's or OCD and, you know, that usually onsets around 8, 9, 10. 
And so he was regressing a little bit with that, not into autism so much, but dealing with this new uh, series of, of issues. And that particular family was into chelating, uh, chelating the minerals and, and you know the mercury and different things out of the body. And that's not a therapy that I endorse or don't endorse. It's just something that the family was doing. And so they stepped it up and stepped it up and stepped it up, thinking that this was going to make the difference with this new group of symptoms. And I personally felt like the, there was too much chelating going on and he was getting sicker and sicker. So I made a suggestion because of the family and the way that they think and, and how they uh, approach life. I said, why don't you, if, you're, if it's so important to you to do this chelating, why don't you do it with this doctor who's like a whole, like all the way across the country? So they, this family could afford it and they were able to set it up. So they were now going to, instead of just going somewhere nearby, they were going to have the child deal with going to the airport, going through the airport, going through security, picking the gate. And of course, it's always a different gate. It doesn't stay the same. Planes are always changing. You know, they have to rent a different vehicle each time they go. To... So in other words, we created a type of travel therapy for the situation. And I guided them through having him make these choices of what was going to happen. And this little boy, and it was phenomenal to watch. He went from having these humongous outbursts and being very angry to constantly problem solving and dealing with it and changing and changing and changing to the point where by the time they stopped uh, the chelation, they continued the travel therapy. In fact, they're traveling today. <laughs> so um, he has been so benefited that that family plans on writing a book about it because every time they take him somewhere and they involve him in, in the solutions, he comes home so much more capable that he, he moves forward about a year's worth. Um, in a two to three week vacation, so it's it's really quite amazing to see. It's the it's an awesome reality that you don't have to give up traveling. Which, by the way, this family um, they were big travelers, and when they had an autistic child, they thought that's it; they can't travel anymore. And it was one of the things that they missed very much. So now, finally, everybody has freedom. Everybody travels. They go on cruises. They do all these things, and he steps up. He doesn't have Tourette's anymore, by the way. He's done many therapies, but the travel therapy in his world has been enormous. So today's answer is understand the brain. Learn why people say what they say, and then make that work for you. In this case, we're talking about novelty. Use it. Don't shy away from it. Use it. And travel, travel, travel. This is a new spin on autism, Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, and thank you so much for joining me. Next time up, we're going to talk about don't romanticize the disorder. Bye.